about the adjuster? I don't know what the adjuster is. Oh, it's um, a, Adam yeah. McGoyan. Actually, Adam McGoyan movie. Mm-hmm. Before he blew up, before uh, Exotica. And it's a good little Canadian kind of uh, character piece. I mean, this was back when Adam McGoyan, like, was hungry. And, like, he showed great promise before, like, Exotica and Sweet Hereafter uh, came about. And so, yeah, I guess there's, I guess there's a good little movie. Yeah. It is. It's creepy and, creepy and low-key. Yeah, I mean, he was – he. I mean, I don't know if he's ever made a – so a bad movie though. I mean, he's always mm. made um, mm. that West Memphis Three movie he made was pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah, Devil's Knot. Devil's oh. Knot. Oh, I never saw. Yeah. Okay, I never saw the West Memphis Three movie, so I, I, don't, well, I don't. Well, maybe maybe it wouldn't be so terrible if if the Paradise Now or, or whatever that documentary series was, <laughs> if that didn't exist. But in the absence right. of that, uh, man, why even bother? Um, yeah, yeah. Also on that. Yeah. Thing, also on the day was Boomerang. Eddie Murphy, you star making a romantic com- uh, romantic, you know, comedy with Robin Givens. Uh Chris Rock has a little part in it. Nasty Nelson, my favorite character. Nasty Nelson. Uh I will defend Boomerang. Um it's Eddie uh trying to break out of the box uh early on. Uh I think there's some good a lot of good, it's a little it's a little long. It's like literally 2 hours long. Um Probably could trim off about 15 minutes, but uh, there's a lot of there is some great funny stuff in that movie. Uh, mm-hmm. The whole the stuff between Eddie and Martin Lawrence, David Allen Greer, is great. Great early Halle Berry. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is a, good a movie. landmark. Mm-hmm. People don't know this. A landmark movie soundtrack of the 90s. That is one of the uh, yeah. that was one of the premier soundtrack. That and the Bodyguard and Juice all that year, 92. Juice, Bodyguard, and, and and Boomerang were the soundtracks in '92. Uh, I mean, so yeah, Boomerang, uh, flawed movie, but I mean, Eddie was coming off of like Harlem Nights and another 40 yeah. hours, coming off of <clears throat> bad movies. So I actually like Boomerang. Yeah, flawed Boomerang. Is, I don't know, dude. The, kind of. Yeah. The uh, the Yiddish uh, soundtrack for Stranger Among Us. I mean, that was a good. That was a good <laughs> one too, right? I forgot. Oh, God. That's right. That's, that's, Man- oh, God. That's, that's Mandy Patinkin. Mm. <laughs> okay. Mandy Patinkin. All right. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jerry. I interrupted you. What were you going to say about Boomerang? No, no, no. Boomerang is Boomerang in hindsight is uh, much better than people give it credit for. I mean, it's actually. I mean, forget what Eddie Murphy will do years from that that point, but um, he's still trying to make a real movie. Um. <laughs> You know, so I got to give him credit. It's it's a it's a good part for him, and it's a, it's a decent movie for its time. I mean, okay, I don't. I saw it one time in '92, and I haven't returned to it. Um, League of Their Own was also on that day, July 1st. Now, I would say for me, for me, this is probably my favorite film of the summer. Is one of yeah. my favorite film of the summer. This is the one that probably. Holds up to most repeat viewings. Like when it's on TV, I will stop and watch this. Um, this it's just it works, Dean. It works. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's a I think it's a terrific movie. It's one of Penny Marshall's best films. In hindsight, I do think if you go back and look at the list, I do think Tom Hanks should have been nominated for supporting actor. It's a great comic performance, and I I think it's a great. It's just a 
great summer summer movie. There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Why don't you leave her alone, Jimmy? Oh, you zip it, Doris. Rogers Hornsby was my manager, and he called me a talking pile of pig shit. And that was when my parents drove all the way down from Michigan to see me play the game. And did I cry? No, no. No, no. And you know why? No. Because there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. No crying. Uh, not having not seen it I, in a long time since it came out, uh, I, and I was I was disappointed with it. Uh, uh, I, you know, it it didn't really affect me. Although I do think that Tom Hanks is good in it. I agree with that. Uh, and uh, but the women aren't particularly uh, notable. Uh, that's the problem for me. Gina Davis, Laurie Petty, Gina- Madonna's good. Rosie O'Donnell is tolerable in this. That's a good Rosie O'Donnell. Amazing. <laughs> uh, I remember John Lovitz being incredibly funny as the uh, as a uh, as a baseball uh, scout, spotter. Yeah, well, well, this is yeah. how I can take John, I can take John Lovitz in small doses, and so he works in uh, League of Their Own, just like yeah, he works yeah. in Happiness. Yeah. I can take him this this amount. I can't take him for full length. But yeah, the right. amount he's in of League of Their Own, I can, I can take him in. Uh, so no, League of Their yeah. Own, League of Their Own's terrific. And I like yeah, I, uh, I Madonna. I like Madonna's song that she did for it. Uh, oh yeah, this I, used to yeah. be my playground. Great ballad. I think that's a very good thing. But those are the those are the positives I can recall out of the movie. Uh, but uh, who knows? Maybe I need to go back and take a look at it again. Yeah, no, this is a great. This is a really good movie. I mean, it's one of the bright spots of this part of the summer, without a doubt. Um, so, no, it was a good movie. And a fairly big okay. hit, too. So. Yeah. July 10th. Brad Pitt and Kim Basinger in Cool World from the maker of Fritz Ooh. the Cat. Yeah, the, the last uh, this is, the last gasp of 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 Ralph Bakshi at least yeah. in terms in terms of in terms of uh, features at least. Yeah, it's uh, a bust. This is literally. I mean, I'm I'm guessing the studio saw Roger Rabbit dollars in their in their eyesight and their line of sight, and this ain't Roger <laughs> Rabbit. It doesn't uh, work. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. It doesn't work. I mean. Yeah, I don't Still think. Doesn't work. Yeah, once again, uh, whenever they do those career retrospectives, like Brad Pitt, like they they curiously they omit this one. Like, so he doesn't <laughs> talk about this. Just a bad movie. There are purists out there, Dean, that consider this Brad Pitt's finest work. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, all well, the purists are wrong on this one. I mean, it's God, even it's cutting class. Even even in a uh, Ralph Bakshi. Uh, retrospective, this would probably be left off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a disappointment. I mean, it's a huge disappointment when you watch it. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know okay. if I pay for that retrospective. Uh, also on July 10th is Prelude to a Kiss. Alec Baldwin and Meg Ryan. What a what a good, blah movie good. that was. Yeah. Rip. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. I I I liked it. I thought it was a good little romance. Meg, it's actually one of Meg Ryan's best performances. And I forget the the old man's name, but he's really really good in it. Um, the old man that she swapped souls with. Um, the interesting backstory on that is that was going to be a Christmas '91 release. They they had Oscar hopes on that one. Then they moved it to yeah. uh, summer '90. 
92. Um, well, it was based but, on a hit play, right? So that sounds yeah, like yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, it's not a very good play. It's not a very good play either. Uh, yeah, I just thought it was dull as shit. Uh, I, me too. And it's, some, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a movie that, uh, like, uh, Nora Ephron would make more popular, her more audience-friendly I think mm-hmm. that's what's missing. I'm, I'm curious. That's I, what's I didn't missing. know about the play. Does the audience know about the switch immediately in the play, or do they have a? Does it take them a while to figure it out, just like it does in the movie? I'm not sure. I don't know. Not, I read the play in high school, and I thought, oh, what? I I, I don't really like this play. Um, hmm. but I I actually think the movie sticks really close to the play. Huh. So I would imagine it's the same. It plays the same. Huh. Also on that day, Universal Soldier. Which uh, was was the beginning of another kind of mini franchise. Yeah, and people, I mean, I've never been a Unisoul devotee, but I mean, I know people. Unisoul. <laughs> wait, wait, I know. Was there actually the hip lingo? Well, I mean, that's what they're called in, in the movie. They're called Unisouls. Uh, okay, I don't, I don't remember. I just remember going um, to see so, it. And I, and I, I thought it was like a fan, like I thought it was a fan that exists. No, you know, fan so the name of the program, the name of the program that they're part of is the Unisoul program. Um, mm. And so I, I know people who are college educated who will defend uh, this movie and certain entries in the series. Um, so I I never got into it, but I mean it has its uh, has it's its a slog. following. Okay, it's a slog. I mean uh, basically <clears throat> it's two termin it's basically the story of two Terminators and neither one of them has the personality of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm. <laughs> well, don't say that. We interviewed <laughs> Dolph Lundgren, and he was a <laughs> That's sweetheart. That's bad at all. Dolph Lundgren's a sweetheart, man. We interviewed him. He was he was he was hey, a really nice guy. School, man. Yeah. Don't act. Mm, July seventeenth. He's gonna rival the actors' studio. It's July seventeenth is Honey. I, yeah, but he does have his own acting school. Dolph Lundgren. July seventeenth is uh, Honey. I blew up the kid. Uh, also, and actually, this was actually critically acclaimed. A lot of critics liked this film, and it was actually a surprise hit at the time. It, Here's the interesting. This is this is how much you go through like maturity in three years. Like summer of '89, I'm like 10, about to turn 11, and so I'm all about Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Summer of '92, I'm like 13, about to four, turn 14. You couldn't pay me to go see Honey I Blew Up the Kids. Um, <laughs> so literally in the span of three years, they're like, yeah, that's not for me. So that that yeah. that's where we're at with that franchise. I mean, but apparently as a kids' film, and I I don't know. I guess maybe now you know, obviously now I'm mature. You know, I'm sure it is a good little kids' film, but I I did not see it at the time. I don't think did any of us see it at the time. I mean, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't see the original I, either. <laughs> I saw yeah. the original bits and pieces on TV, but I mean, it's yeah, just the, no. The trailer for Honey I Blew Up the Kid was painful. Mm. Yeah. But it got the job done. Uh, also on that day <laughs> is uh, Man Trouble. Uh, Bob Rafelson, uh, Jack oh, Nicholson, God. Uh, oh, God. and Ellen, Ellen, Ellen Barkin. The only thing I know about Man Trouble, I mean, more like it should be called Movie Trouble because that was kind of a big troubled movie. But uh, they said that Nicholson, as usual, was a big saint on that set. 
And I remember an anecdote that the Ellen Barkin always told. Like she told, she was told that she was wrapped for the day, so she went back to her trailer and she started, you know, smoking a J. And uh, then they came in and they said, uh, "You're needed. Uh, we got to do some uh, some more with you." And she was like, "Oh shit! I, 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 you know, I'm not in really the condition to do that." And uh, Nicholson came to her trailer and she explained it to Nicholson. He was like, "Oh, okay, don't worry." And uh, shut down the production for the night. <laughs> Nicholson's like, I want to smoke out with Ellen, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I would think, you know, yeah, let's do that. I mean, <laughs> sex is often such a barrier to friendship between men and women. Well, not necessarily. Jack <laughs> is back. What do you specialize in? Female troubles. In trouble. Again. Who is it this time? This is a very unique individual. Didn't I hear this before? About the hostess at Denny's? Jack Nicholson is Howie Bliss. <laughs> an expert at training attack dogs. I want to show you what you can expect from a dog of this caliber. <laughs> Ellen Barkin is John. <laughs> Don't worry, we're going to get you to feel as safe as a little baby. She was looking for protection. Did she even ask me what it cost? Damn it, I really respect that. What she got was man trouble. Sorry. Like problem with Duke. That's more or less normal for most of your adult males. Jack Nicholson. Why don't you let me take you out of this place and buy you a drink? Alan Barkin. We can go as slow as you want. Man trouble. Who says you can't teach an old dog new tricks? The movie just doesn't work. It's just a, it's just slowly paced. And knowing that, you kind of you understand why they did Blood and Wine. It's like Rafelson and Nicholson. Like, yeah, well, let's do one more and get it right this time. Yeah. Let's not have our yeah. our last movie be a bad movie. Yeah. So Blood and Wine's a good one. But Man Man Trouble is like it just it just lays there. Man. I was struck at the time. I don't know if you that you know for the parts I did see. I guess I watched it on cable after it had come out. I was just kind of like awestruck how bad it was. I mean, I couldn't get over that this was like one of the greatest actors of our time. And, and a great director. A and a great, <laughs> you know, superb director. And this is what they're doing. It's it's like you're you're just, I mean, I don't know. I was just dumbfounded by the little parts I've seen of it. I just could not believe that this movie got made. I mean. Out of all of Jack Nicholson's movies, I think I've seen all of them except for Man Trouble and the, his last one, the one he did with uh, with James L. Brooks. Uh, yeah. Which has that um, yeah, how stupid do I, title. How do you know? How do you know? How do you, how do you know? know? Right. And he's actually, he has a great moment in How Do You Know. He does have a great moment in How Do You Know. Okay. He's actually really good in that. Uh, worth, Man Trouble. Worth, yeah, worth yeah. it seeing through the entire movie for? Yeah, How Do You Know is not. Uh, a bad movie. It's not bad. Uh, I mean, it's not bad. Uh, I mean, it's not Spanglish. I mean, Spanglish is awful. But no, how do you know it's okay? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Is it I more like I'll do anything? 
Uh, well, I'm I'm actually I like I'll do anything. I mean, me too. As flawed as I'll do anything is. It's, you know. <laughs> me too. I like it, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but it's not okay. a great movie. <laughs> yeah. Also um, on that day, all I have to say about the next movie on that day, July seventeenth, The Stranger Among Us, Melanie Griffith, uh, is that this was the first movie that I put together as a projectionist. Sliced it all together, and uh, so the only memory I have of this movie is that. Uh, I got the Q-tape wrong, so when the lights should have gone down, they went up, and that whole thing. But, uh, <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, that's the uh, only thing kinda, I, I remember about that movie. <laughs> you know, the thing is, you could have gotten it all wrong, and no one would have noticed. Could that movie that bad? Yeah, it's a, it's not a good movie. I mean, I watched sorry. it. I watched it yesterday. Uh, I, I said, Being well, you're like a, a masochist? It, I mean, what the hell? <laughs> well, there's a lot Being of these you, movies that I haven't seen, so I wanted to go and rewatch some of them, as many of them as I could. And uh, so I put on Stranger Among Us because I thought, well, it's Cindy Lumet. I'll check it out. Uh, and, boy, it just doesn't work from the get-go because you can no. never believe Melanie Griffith uh, in her role – Either as a uh, as a, as a police uh, officer, or as a woman undercover in the Hasidic yeah. community, it's just you, they, can't, you just you can't take it seriously. I mean, you can't buy it. it. And then they they spend a, too much time in the movie forgetting about the central mystery and trying to drum up some romance between her and uh, a. Uh, Jewish officer on the force, uh, played by John Pankow, who's completely forgettable, and uh, and also also uh, 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 the son of the Rebbe, uh, who's played by Lee Richardson, is also like sort of set up as kind of like like she gets a crush on him somehow, and I I don't know why, but <laughs> it's just and it also just sort of strikes you as like. Uh, how to be Jewish 101, you know. It's like teaching you, oh, all the weird things that they do. They they cover the mirrors when someone dies and all that kind of stuff. It's it's really pathetic and, and bad. You, you, think, you oh, think Sidney Lamette would know better kind of you know, it, You would really think he would know better. It's also one of the kind of clunk- Yeah, it's one of the clunkiest movies he's ever made. Like, uh, I guess... I guess you know he 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 kind of photographs. It's like photographed in two different sections. It's like okay, there's the outside of the uh, of the Hasidic community, which is photographed like a normal you know New York movie, and then when you get inside into the houses and to, into the temples and so forth, uh, it 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 looks like. You know, it looks like you know James Gray's The Immigrant or something. It looks all brown and mm-hmm, and nineteen oh two, and I guess it look it's 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 a visual style to tell you, oh well, they live in the past, and but it really doesn't work because it's kind of visually confusing. Uh, the only interesting thing in it <clears throat> is that you do get to see a thin. James Gandolfini playing a, a mobster who who harasses uh, the uh, the Jewish people in it uh, at their diamond store, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> that that is about it. And speaking hey, of the Lumet, store, Lumet liked Gandolfini. Gandolfini. He used him uh, several times. He, he did. Yeah, uh, he loved him. Lumet. I don't know. It's weird. This is a. 
Lamette had just like had a triumph two years earlier with Q and A, with this, with the Stranger Among Us, with Ember Variety, had a headline called in the Vitness, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> Vitness. <Yeah>. And then <laughs> that's funny. But but Lamette would get his mojo back the following summer with uh, Guilty of Sin. Like just a yeah, better, not a bad movie. Not a bad movie. That's kind of a meat and potatoes Sid and Lamette procedural. But yeah, Stranger I Among Us just doesn't work. I should point hurt. this out too. I was surprised to see uh, Mia Sara in it as like uh, as one of the women in the seated community, and uh, I had I had thought that she had dropped out of movies after Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So uh, there was there was I was sort of interested to see her again, but other than and she that, was in Time Cop, I think. Oh, oh, she I'm was not, okay. Yes. I'm By not the way. By the way, terrible score. It does have a really bad score. Like it has all of the you know uh, klezmer kind of uh, cliches in it that that you might think Lumet might have uh, sidestepped, yeah. but he didn't. Yeah, the only thing I know about Stranger Among Us, I know the frames that came before and after the real changes. That's <laughs> all I know of that movie. Uh, July twenty second uh, was Captain America. Do we have to say anything about Captain America? I mean, did that actually come out? <laughs> Dude, I think that was straight to video for most most of the country. Maybe Los Angeles, one theater in Los Angeles. But <laughs> I remember our, our our theater here in Little Lake on Florida, we we put posters up for it and everything. So at one time yeah. it was expected to be a major release. At least, uh, was, that was true with the Punisher I think that was a, a couple was years. That, was that canon? Was that like a canon or I think Terracol? I think it was a canon. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's one of the last gasps of canon. Mm, okay. Oh, God bless him. Uh, July twenty fourth, Mo Money. Yes, great soundtrack though. Mo Money. Got the Mo great Money. Soundtrack. It, it, you know, you speak of hip hop comedies, Dean. This is one of the like of that summer. One of the I remember going to see with my friend Eric, and it's one of the. I mean, at the time, one of the bright spots. But yeah, this is kind. Of, this is like the way. Which way ends is this? In this movie, this is Damon. Um, this is Damon. So you still have like you still have the first I guess first generation weigh-ins in this. Uh, for what it is, it, it, it or what I remember, it's funny. It you know it, it to to quote Aaron, it gets the job done. Um, I don't couldn't tell you a damn thing about it right now though. But I do remember paying money to see this. Well, I'm looking at the uh, soundtrack now and. Uh, Color Me Bad <laughs> is on it. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> lots of t- Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. They obviously produced it. Big Daddy Kane uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Pub- Public Enemy has a track mm-hmm. on it, which is kind of a surprise. Mm-hmm. MC Light. Uh, yeah. um, uh, Big Daddy Kane, Rick- that's my porn name, by the way. <laughs> big Daddy Kane, I mean, Big Daddy Kane was a big deal. I mean, yeah. Yeah, not a lot of other things though. Johnny Gill, uh, Little Richard has a cut on it. Is he in it? Is he in the movie? Or I don't, I don't remember. remember. Johnny, uh, okay. Hey, John, don't don't front on Johnny Gill, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Little Richard, Admit, Little Richard was going to be in it, but he wanted more money, so they. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, okay. Also on that day, Mom and Dad saved the world. <laughs> oh God. Oh boy, okay. I I tried to sit. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! I tried to sit through this. I I really did. I put it on, 
And I got through 30 minutes of it, and I said, that's it. I can't watch anymore. Because, of course, John Lovitz is the lead, uh, or one of the leads, as Todd Spingo, the the ruler of a of a planet, but a uh, uh, very narcissistic character who brings, uh, some for some reason that I did not find out why, uh, well, he's in love. He, he somehow gets a video feed of Woodland Hills, California, and sees Terry Gar. Uh, the middle-aged Terry Gar, who still looks good, twenty looked good twenty-five years ago, uh, um, and he falls in love with her, and so he has to bring her to the planet, and he ends up bringing her and uh, Jeffrey Jones, and actually Jeffrey Jones is is kind of funny as a as a kind of a. He says, dumbo. "Come to our planet. We have nothing but little boys here." <laughs> it's a yeah, uh, uh, that's it, it, he's a Dumbo dad, you know, and uh, in that way he's he's okay, but uh, but it is a really painful movie. This is pain. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I liked uh, Jeffrey Jones and Ferris Bueller's Pants Off. I thought that was really good. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> July thirty-first. Uh, uh, poor pedophile. Yeah. Hey, base kids. Maybe kids on July 31st. There we go. Another a bright spot of the summer. I will. Say. Yes, I agree. I agree. Uh, Robin Harris uh, does does the lead voice and actually wrote it. I think it's is it adapted. No, from... actually, he doesn't do the lead voice. He had died by then. Oh, he so had. Have, yeah, he had died by then. So it, I think it's uh, Phase on Love who does oh. Robin Harris's voice. Oh, okay. oh yeah, all right. right. But it's adapted from his his comedy his routine, routine, right? Yeah, his stand-up okay. routine of uh, having to take Bebe's kids out for the day. Yeah, it's actually quite funny. Uh, yeah, it is, and uh, and, and well animated. So uh, hmm. not 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 a bad movie. The first hip hop comedy, uh, animated comedy. The first hip hop. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Dean, hmm. do you want to discuss how that's a trend that died? <laughs> the hip hop uh, never really got started. Can, can, can we please spend ten minutes on that? Uh, uh, next up is uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which had a lot of life. Which no one okay. Let's 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 cut out the revisionist history. Yeah. No one saw that movie in theaters. No, yeah, right. that movie tanked. No one. You know, it was it was a Christy Swanson Luke Perry vehicle. Is all I remember. Luke Perry got prominence in the trailer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So no one saw that movie in the theaters. You know, now everyone's like, oh, where it all started. Like, no, no, no. Uh, that, and even that saying movie, that, no, Aaron, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah. Even people did not. The people who went back and revisited the movie, who are huge fans of the show, couldn't get yeah. over how bad the movie was. I mean, yeah. Let's not. There's no revision here. This movie has zero, um, how shall I say it? There's not a lot of love for the movie. I think what people are amazed at is that they could make a TV show that was so iconic. And I know you hate that word, Dean. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but let's be honest. But for this show, I think we can say that um, this show, um, this show became just wildly popular. But the movie, oh my God, uh, it's, it's, it's a slog. I'm sorry, the movie is a hard to sit through. It's not funny. It's uh, you know, I mean, even even the appearance of Paul Rubens in it uh, as a vampire doesn't help, and uh, it just it doesn't have anything that the TV show had. Like unlike DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, 
this is something Luke Perry does put on his reel. On his reel. <laughs> Anything he can, I mean, you know. Yeah. Anything All to right. add that out. Yeah. It does strike me as the kind of movie that Diablo Cody would love. He probably has it, has sure. it on Betamax, too, mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs> um, also on July 31st, Death Becomes Her. Robert okay, the third Goldie film. Now, yeah. this is a weird movie. This is a weird movie because um, it's a very loud, noisy movie, and it really doesn't work for a lot of the time. But the last act of the movie, where it's just this kind of special effects, bonanza, mm-hmm. free-for-all, is kind of amazing. Um, so it's kind of a chore to get through the first two acts, but that last mm-hmm. act is really something to sit through. I don't know much about the movie. I, I, my, I've heard inklings that this was a hard shoot for no other reason that Bruce Willis was yes. Bruce Willis at the time. And like Robert Zemeckis had to put up with Bruce Willis right. being Bruce Willis. Um, but if you watch it for Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn going toe to toe, that's, that's the stuff you, you want to see. And really some really groundbreaking special effects at the time. Yeah. So I was going to say it's a weird, it's a weird movie. It's like a movie that uh, you would have expected somebody like Barry Seinfeld or something to direct at that time, or maybe Danny mm-hmm. DeVito or something. You know, it, mm-hmm. it feels like one of their movies, and doesn't feel like anything that uh, Robert Zemeckis had done before or after. Uh, so it's, it feels heavily influenced by other. Well, I don't know though. I mean, you know, part of, part of Zemeckis's downfall. And I think it probably includes something like Death Becomes Her, which a lot of people like Death Becomes Her. It's uh, a difficult so my, my, my statement's more about Robert Zemeckis. But some of his movies, they seem to exist only as a means of him advancing the technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, more, more, than the, more than the value of the story he's telling, he wants to take the technology to a different level. And that's yeah. his sole purpose. And I think that's the downfall of the I, I yeah. agree with that. Although I think I think Death Becomes Her is a is a funny movie. It's sort of there's got a it's got a sleepy quality to it that's kind of weird uh, in some ways. Like I I, I don't know exactly. It's it, it, it is a little dull as it's as it's beginning. Don't you know that it's worth every treasure on earth to be young. Some people will go to any length to stay young forever. Is that someone? It's Madeline Ashton. Oh, she was a big star in the 60s. I thought she was dead. Oh, madam, you look younger every day. Thank you, Rose. But Madeline Ashton and her old friend, Helen Sharp. I've lost men to her before. Mad Are about to go <laughs> too far. A touch of magic. Drink that potion, and you'll never grow even one day older. Bottoms up. No warning. Now a warning? Siempre viva! Live forever! Ernest, I'm in the morgue. They think I'm dead. You are, but you're not. Are you telling me it doesn't hurt when I do this? It doesn't hurt. She's dead, Ernest. Now he's dead. 
around this period with this film and she devil yeah uh, and postcards and, her, really and postcards from the egg and yeah, she was i mean she's and she's very good at comedy and i wish she would do more and then she finally tried it again with devil wears prada and that really worked and so finally she really got comfortable with it because devil wears prada oh. mama mia julie and julia it's hard to fit her in a stupid comedy is what i'm saying yeah no no like, like yeah. a really juvenile comedy. the only one Devil's the only doubt, one I don't think that's a hilarious movie. Yeah, doubt. No, she's hysterical and But no, do you, no, what I meant, Jamie, is that in the movie, Starring in the Jeffrey movie that her, her in, in the movie though, her part. I mean, I'm saying in the movie they criticize the the actual the press, the critics in the actual in the movie are criticizing her singing. Oh, I actually think she's very good in the movie. Um, but her her singing is what's being criticized by everyone in the audience. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's supposed to be the end of her yeah, career I didn't mean, and I didn't everything. Mean she was, I didn't mean she was bad in the movie. I actually think she and Goldie Hawn are quite good in, yeah. in the movie. Um, no, I yeah, think but that there, came there, is, there is something Jerry. that happens when you when you have such an obviously intelligent actress starring in really silly stuff. It just mm-hmm. doesn't work. If you mention if you mention postcards from the edge and Devil Wears Prada, those those both had a level of intelligence and sophistication to them. Right. Uh, well, know, I would say I, I that Death Becomer has. I think that Death Becomes Her has a little bit of uh, sophistication to it as well. So I mean, but but none of those I, I movies I, compare. I don't think it's quite as dumb as you Sophie's might choice. remember it. None of them compare to what? To Sophie's Choice. The comedy <laughs> of Sophie's Choice. It, it, I would I would recommend everybody game. watch Death Becomes Her. It's it's good. It is a fun movie. It's a good. It's a decent movie. I, I've never seen it, so I really can't. <laughs> okay. Making general statements. Uh, okay, Enchanted April. Enchanted April finally on that day, uh, which I have seen, and I've never seen it better. Like really. Yeah. <laughs> I, got I actually Austin, I got a couple of Oscar nominations. I think supporting actress. I forget. Yeah. Who got the supporting? It's a good movie. It is good. It is Isn't good. Enchanted April. Enchanted April released in August. I think they missed out on a marketing yeah. uh, ploy there. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, I, I like it. I, I think it's 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 perfectly perfectly entertaining, and uh, and uh, it's been a few years. I haven't returned to it probably since, but I remember thinking that it was a you know a nice Saturday afternoon kind of movie. And after your tea and crumpets. Hmm. Yeah, perfect. Uh, August uh, August 1st, uh, I don't think we need to talk about this, Phantom Tollbooth. I don't know what that is. 
Uh, Based on a popular kids book. Uh, That's all I can tell you. Uh, Four movies came out August 7th. Three Ninjas. Uh, Had a cult following. uh, Had a cult following. Had a sequel. Yeah. Yeah, no no interest. Whispers in the Dark. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and Alan Alda, and, uh, Alan yeah. Alda as a bad guy, which, you know, I yeah, like Alan yeah. Alda as a bad guy, but... Uh, yeah, this is a fascinating yeah. movie. <laughs> he has one of the great, like, the the. it's a terrible movie. I cannot recommend it, but it is worth seeing if you're going to sit through it. For the final sequence when Alan Alda is revealed as the bad guy, because it is one of the great comedy scenes of the year of Alan Alda going berserk. It's just, yes, yes, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> and then uh, his death scene is awesome. So, yeah. It, uh, Wait, you have a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seem to be believed. It's, it's amazing. Another one of those. Another one of those psychosexual thrillers uh, of that time, and uh, you know something like Final Analysis is in that vein too. That came out at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Also on that day, Raising Cain, which we've talked to oh. death on the show because you know Jerry and I love it. It's so oh. good. It's so good. Oh, I thought, if you listen to this show, you just know that we love this movie. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, the 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 last shot is amazing, but you yeah. got to sit through. You got to sit through a lot of stuff to get to that oh, last. But, but can, wait, wait. So wait, wait. Can I ask you a question, Aaron? Does this movie not get the job done? No, <laughs> it does not get the job done. There's <laughs> there's the Palmas. Body double, you know, in this vein, I'll take body double over Raising Cane. You know, if we want to talk about, like, the trashy, the trashy disposable De Palma, I'll take body double over Raising Cane. The one caveat I will give is that I have not seen the the newly, the recently put-together director's cut of Raising Cane that supposedly is a vast improvement over the theatrical version. So maybe there's hope that that kind of fixes, you know, it balances out the problems. So I'm just going by the theatrical cut that I saw in you know on video. So it's, like still, a, it's just Depalmaism. It's just a movie of Depalmaisms. I love it. I mean, it's just. I mean, no, it's not. A, yeah. But it's just a Depalmaism movie. I, um, I think the, body. I mean, so is Body Double, and I think Body. Oh Double yeah. Is, oh, like, you're absolutely right. Uh, this is a fun movie, though. It's so much fun. I'll take, no, I, I'll take body I, I think Raising Kane. I think Raising Kane lives by its title, and I, I do think it's the most unhinged of the De Palma movies because it just seems so crazy and like he really is throwing everything in. I mean, there's moments in this movie where he's not only copying Hitchcock, he's copying himself copying Hitchcock, yes. copying what he did in The Untouchables, which was a copy of what they did in Battleship Potemkin. I mean, there's yes. five yes. levels of copy in a single shot of this movie, and it's just yes. fun in that respect. Yes, thank you. That's what I love and, about and, it. Thank and as you. we all know, a copy of a copy of a copy loses its, uh, you know, quality but, with each subsequent copy. So they, yeah, yeah, but is no, there a level... Uh, 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 hold on a minute. Let me say something here. Copy. All okay, the hold on a minute. He knows what he's doing. He knows <laughs> what he's doing, Aaron. He's having fun <laughs> with it. He's commenting on it himself. He's laughing at I mean, And that's fine. I, I have no problem. I just think, you know, on a narrative... on a, Just on a plain narrative level, you know, it 
it doesn't hold. Like I said, the director's cut maybe the narrative is, is a little tighter and a little more focused. So uh, I mean, I hold up hope. I hold out hope for the director's cut. The movie it is a <laughs> It is a rather confusing movie, I, I think. But I think you need to get into. Uh, it, it requires that you get into a certain level of of like, hey, hey, this is so bad, it's good, kind of. Uh, no, I mean, kind Craig, of what's thinking. So, how, what's, what's, I just what's can't believe that you don't Craig think it gets Watson. the job done. I mean, I'm just, well, I'm just <laughs> what's, what's more bad than Craig Watson as the lead? I mean, you can't get any better than Craig Watson. That's true. That, that's 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 why I prefer Raising Kane over uh, over something like Body Double. Raising Kane at least has John Lithgow, who I think really does give his all in the in the league. I, I think, think it's. I think he deserved like a lifetime achievement award for this role. I mean, for this role, I mean, I really do. The movie and you know, I, I gained a whole new appreciation of Raising Kane when we did the show on Raising Kane, and and yes. we had uh, John Kenneth John Kenneth Muir on, and he talked about the gender roles at play in the movie, and he gave it a real kind of depth that I hadn't considered before. Because what I love in Raising Kane is the fact that it's it's the ultimate. If you're De Palma freak, it's the ultimate inside movie. Like it is yes. for. People, people that know De Palma just want to see him, see him go batshit, you know? Yeah, which I is, mean, that's really... It's really not that different than something like Passion, for instance, which I, I would put in that same category as being, like, filled with De Palma-isms that are only for fans of, of the directors. He's lifting from a French movie, too, which he's uh, copying. He's copying the French movie, but adding his own flavor to, um, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a fascinating, it's a fast, that's a fascinating film to watch too, because you're like, well, I just saw this with the original French cast, but now we get these two, and then we get Brian that's directing it, and oh my God, I mean, yeah. but no, Raising Kane, you go into it, like I took my, I went with my best friend Derek Turnhour to see it, and with a bunch of our friends, and you know, the Fury is on the, you know, on the Untouchables of Fury, Scarface. You know, Carrie, we're familiar with all those at the time, even Blowout. Um, but, you know, I hadn't really been obsessed over De Palma quite to later on. But you're watching it, and you just can't help but just be enthralled by the movie. Yes, it's bad, it's all that, but it's a lot of fun. There's no doubt it's a lot of fun. Jamie, okay. did you splice that movie together, too? Did I splice it together now? Oh, no. Yeah, did, yeah. The, yes. did you build the yes, movie? Did you did. build the print? <laughs> I, I probably did. I, I was the manager then, but uh, I might have. Uh, okay. Um, August, 7th, August uh, 7th, also on that day, the big one, the one that would win Best Picture for this year, Unforgiven. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. no one saw movie. it coming. No one saw it coming. Uh it it is a good movie. It's obviously not the best movie that year, but it is a good movie and it's clearly you know, it was the great surprise of the summer. The you know, they talk about the October surprise, that was the August surprise, it was unforgiven. <laughs> that came out of nowhere. Um it's funny, I I just I watched it like three years ago on uh, cable. I saw like the second half of it. And the shot that I always remember is when um late in the film when the woman comes up upon uh, Clint Eastwood and the the Cisco kid, and she tells them what uh, little Bill did to Morgan Freeman, and um, and there's that shot of Clint Eastwood grabbing the bottle of liquor and taking his first drink in years, and you know he's getting mad and he's gonna go back and like kill everyone, and I vividly remember to this day 
the chill that went through the audience in the theater. That like, yeah. oh, Clint Eastwood's like getting mad, and just from that shot of him taking that first sip of booze, and that's just, I mean, it's just an iconic image from that movie. I I always remember that shot right. of Clint Eastwood taking a bottle of booze and like getting all liquored up to go to go into the final showdown. And it's I just, I mean, yeah. I remember seeing the movie. <clears throat> and uh, uh, after reading, I think I think I read the re- Variety review. Uh, I kind of discounted all Clint Eastwood for a little while there, but this review made me excited about it, and I was definitely blown away by the movie. I do think it. I still think it's the best movie of 1992. One of the few times that I agreed with the Academy. Uh, I think it's one of the great westerns. Uh, it's got a literary quality uh, that uh, that I find impressive, uh, and I uh, I'm still I'm still affected by it even today. Without going into digression, I, I will say I I admire Unforgiven a lot. But I, I don't I don't buy into you know there's a lot of talk like well it was a comeback for Eastwood the fact is Eastwood's previous film which is White Hunter Black Heart is one of his best films I agree with that after, too and, it's a great and the film, film. That, and the film that after this A Perfect World deals with yeah. similar themes as Unforgiven and is even a better a better modern day western so the movies oh, that yeah. stand with Unforgiven to me are even more complex than Unforgiven well no I would give you White Hunter Black Heart um I I don't know about the rookie or pink Cadillac but it was considered at the time, you know, we, we, you must remember, though, like, as, someone, as we said, no one saw this coming. Everyone mm-hmm. just figured this was going to be very run-of-the-mill, and then word got out that, hey, uh, we have we have a really awesome film here. Um, and I agree. I like A Perfect World a lot, too. I think it's a very good movie, um, very underrated movie. Um, both movies that are sandwiched in between it are very good movies that are very underappreciated. Um so, yeah, and yeah. it does feel like it does feel like a great cap for his work in that genre, and I think mm. that that added another level to it because we as an audience went in knowing that um, that that it represented that as well. But I, I remember my parents going to see it before I did, and my parents never went to see a movie except every summer when they vacation at the beach, they take in a movie, their only movie of the year, and so they watched Unforgiven and they hated it because. Uh, they they were programmed to enjoy what you talked about, Aaron, which is Eastwood is going to go batshit and he's going to blast away the tough guys. And that happens in the movie, and yet the movie, there is no release. Uh, There's no joy in scene. it. Yeah, because, because he's betrayed himself. It's a character film. Mm-hmm. And when he walks out, uh, after shooting down Bill, um, and he looks and sees Morgan Freeman in the upright coffin. I mean, nothing's changed. It's just death and loss. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's that's the greatness of the movie, the morality mm-hmm. of it. That's exactly what I love about it. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't uh, celebrate violence at all. I mean, there's no celebration. Yeah, that's exactly that's – exactly, the world needs more of those movies. <laughs> but uh, – I uh yeah I mean it's it's the cast I I I love uh I love the cast even though I feel like uh, uh maybe Richard Harris is a little overboard but uh but Morgan Freeman and Saul Rubinek and and uh Francis Fisher and 
and all those character actors Jesus, in there. Gene, Gene well. Hackman is amazing. Gene yeah, and amazing. of course Gene Hackman, you know, uh, is really mm-hmm. one of the main reasons to to uh, love the movie. He's he's mm-hmm. a great villain. It's a it's a terrific script. I love how it begins and ends. That sort of that wistful kind of uh, uh, panorama shot yeah. of the uh, of the house in the wilderness with, uh, in the on the prairie, you know, at sunset, you know, and the and the words that are coming up to explain uh, uh, the movie uh, that you're about to see. I think that all of that stuff is incredibly moving to me. I love the score. Uh, that's by that's Clint Eastwood's work, and uh, and I guess Lenny Niehaus as well, and uh, just I just felt like it was a movie that was that even even with previous Clint Eastwood movies that I like, I mean there are many of them that I like, uh, of course, but uh, I felt that it was a step above uh, anything that he had ever well, done, and, and in fact to... I. I was able to predict. I said that's best picture right there. I came out of it, and actually dreamed. This is true. I actually had a dream that I was going through an issue, a print issue of Variety, obviously print, and uh, going through it and see. I saw an ad for Unforgiven being nominated for nine Oscars. Well, it ended up being nominated for eight. <laughs> Ned, you're Mr. Quincy, and um, what was the young fella's name? Elroy. Elroy Tate. No, no, that's not what you said. Elroy ain't. No, you said um, Elroy Quincy out of uh, Medicine Hat and uh, Henry Tate out of Cheyenne. Hell if I did. Hell if I did. Charlie. Go and get them whores what fucked these boys in the night of the storm. Strawberry Alice and Silky. Yeah, come on, get. Come on. Now, Ned. Them whores are gonna tell different lies than you. And when they're lies. Ain't the same as your lies. Well, I ain't gonna hurt no woman. But I'm gonna hurt you. And not gentle like before. But bad. The only thing missing from that would have made Unforgiven really go over the top for me. I mean, it's a great movie, but would have really put it over the top is if the appearance of Clyde. That would have done it. Uh, oh yeah, Clyde. <laughs> Clyde would have Clyde, shown up. If Clyde had but, shown up in Unforgiven, uh, wow. the orangutan would have shown up. Uh, okay, I and I will say this too, because the previous year, I mean, Gene Hackman had been planning on starring in and directing Silence of the Lambs, but he ultimately backed out of it because he didn't like the violence, and he agreed to do mm-hmm. Unforgiven because he liked what it had to say about violence. August fourteenth, uh, Digstown. James Woods, Lugasa Jr., Boxing now, Rooster. Supposedly, this was supposed to have been like a late summer blockbuster because it had some of the best yes. test scores in the history of the studio. But, you know, what it goes to show you what test scores will tell you. I actually like the film a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of fun. But, you know, it tanked when it came out. 
you know, good, last last you know one of the last gasps of really good Michael Ritchie between this earlier movie the following year. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's good. It's I mean, it's good. Last gasp was good. James Woods. This was a good year for James Woods because he had Citizen Cone also that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Dick Town's a good movie. Okay. Also on that day, single white female, Barbara Schroeder. Now this like uh, stirred up some stuff. Uh, Bridget Fonda and uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Go ahead. Uh, the roommate from hell. The roommate from hell yeah. movie. Yeah. And so Barbara Schroeder puts a little spin on it, makes it a little more comical, like in a dark comic way. And it 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 uh, I like it quite a bit. The big fight in the elevator. It's just one of the great fight scenes in a long time. I mean, it really gets the audience pumped, that fight scene in the elevator between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, a good movie. I, rather, like I remember liking it. The so. rather, it it kind of it has this charge of rather uncomfortable sexuality that runs throughout the whole movie, yeah. um, culminating in probably its most infamous scene involving the boyfriend. Uh, that scene always got a kind of a this nervous laugh in the audience. Why can't you just leave me alone? You gotta talk to me, baby. You just can't pretend that I don't exist. It's easier that way, okay? Is that so wrong, trying to make it easier on me? But people screw up. People do something wrong, and it was wrong. I admit it. And you just, you cut them off. You don't take my calls. You don't answer my letter. Well, wait a minute, you lied to me! If she hadn't called, would I have found out? I think that's really scary, okay? It's a weird little thriller. It's good, but it's highly unpleasant. Like, all all of the characters are are shitheads that you wouldn't want to spend any time with. Well, Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that goes without saying. I mean, mean, well, I mean, you know, you'd think, you know, that that you could at least like uh, Bridget... Uh, Fonda in it, like her character, because I, you, you'd think going in that that she's the one you're supposed to sympathize with, but in actuality she becomes a big shithead because she does exactly to uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's character what she told her she wouldn't do, which is throw right. her out and throw her out, get to get back together with her creepo boyfriend played by Steven Weber who somebody I always found distasteful anyway, but, uh, um, you know, and so she just, oh, you'll find some place. Uh, It'll be all right, you know. That's, what I, that's, that's the Barbie Schroeder text. I like the fact that, one, Brigitte Fonda is not entirely sympathetic, and two, mm-hmm. like the boyfriend, the look of the boyfriend is not like you're going to be what a normal casting person would do. Like, oh, we're, we're going to make him a handsome, likable guy. Right. No, we're going to make him look like Steven Weber. And that's what you got to go back to. You make know? him look so like a freak. I, <laughs> so I like the it's those touches that make you know single white female a little like a little weirdo kind of thriller. That I like. Yeah, it's not not a bad movie. It's 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 okay. I hate that they kill the dog though. By the way, one of the things <laughs> I loved about uh, 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 unlawful entry is that they introduce a cat into the movie and they make great pains to show you that nothing's going to happen to the cat like they even show the cat at the last in the last scene of the movie i was like wow how rare a suspense thriller that actually has an animal in it that doesn't have to die in the face of what the movie requires 
So, but uh, but of course, you know, in this one, you know, they introduce the dog, and it's only minutes later that the dog is thrown out the window, literally. <laughs> so. Also on August 14th, stay tuned, John Ritter. Did anyone stay tuned to this movie? No, no, I no, didn't. No one, no, no one did. Dean, did you did you put it in your marathon from yesterday? No, I didn't. I, I couldn't find a copy of it, unfortunately. But uh, I would have watched it right after Mom and Dad Saves the World. After I cut off Mom and Dad Saves the World, because it seems like the same kind of movie. Uh, but uh, no, I didn't watch this. Never okay. seen it. Real Men. That's the John Ritter movie that you should check out. Yeah. Uh, August 21st, we've already talked about We talked about this movie just last week, so we don't need to talk about it anymore. Christopher Columbus, The Discovery. If you want no, to God, no. Buy, buy insights on that film. Tune in to <laughs> last week's show. Also Why on did that you day, even talk about it last week? I want to know. I mean, it came, okay, come but, to, yeah, let's 1490, 1492 came out on, on Blu ray, so we talked about Christopher Columbus. Um, oh. Uh, the gun and the gun and Betty Lou's handbag was released on that day. It's Penelope okay, and Miller, right? This was a bad right? touch. This is one of those. This is not a touchstone film. This is one of those Hollywood pictures movies. Just late summer, bad Hollywood pictures releases. Right. So, that's all we can say about that one. <laughs> okay. Also on the twenty-first, Rapid Fire, Brandon Lee. Correct? Is that? Yeah. Yes. Brandon, Rapid mean, Fire, Brandon is... Lee, Powers Booth. The late great part Yeah, and that, neither one is with us, so. Uh, I mean, not a bad go. action movie, but, I mean. It has a, I think it holds a record for the amount of plate glass shattering in a movie. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of glass shattering in that movie. A lot of glass shattering. Okay, we'll keep. No, but it's not. It, when this, you know, when, um, what's it, when Brandon, when it's Brandon, uh, we died. Shortly after making the, the crow, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, the the crow. Yeah, so I mean, ever you know, you look at this, you're just like, wow, you know, what could have been? I guess there's like always been the thing with this movie, you know, there's just not that much to choose from. Um, so if that's what the, so this, this film is like worthwhile for that. If you just want to check out what Brandon Lee was capable of, yeah, and he might not have been anything. <laughs> we'll never, yeah, nobody we'll ever never know. I mean, nobody ever talks about that option. Yeah, like what's the possibility? No, no, I mean, well, that it wasn't you know, a tragedy. No, was, <laughs> look, I mean, no, it was a tragedy. Yeah, it was. I, tra- know, I mean, it was a big. It was a big um, deal at the time. But no, if the crow, you know, if he had not, if he had not died, you know, the crow could have come and gone with no, might have just come and gone. I mean, there would have been a no. Um, special thing, but because he did, it, it got more than it might have gotten. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but he, he he was attractive, he was appealing, and he was the son of a legend. So, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, he might have he, he might have happened upon a lucky part. I don't know that the crow would have been it if he had lived. But, uh, you know, who knows? We don't know. Um, August right. 26th is Storyville. I, All I remember uh, about that is the, is the VHS box cover that had uh, James Spader on it, but I never watched it. It's a, it's a weird little over like heat, overheated kind of New Orleans thriller. So it's a kind of a, it's a it's, I mean, it's a crazy kind of erotic er, erotic thriller set in New Orleans. Okay. So uh, it's not bad. It's I mean it's kind of a guilty pleasure. It's one of those 
James Spader programmers like that he was it's doing back same, in the day. It's the same Spader movie. It's the same yeah, Spader movie that Spader he never watched. Yes. Remember what he's famous yeah. for. He never watches his movies. He always said that. I never watch any of the movies I'm in. Yeah. I think that's probably yeah. true with a lot of actors. Yeah, but he he made a he made a real point of saying I don't I, I didn't I don't can't talk about it because I didn't watch it. <laughs> well, plus his his his, cho- his choices are. Uh, I mean, I like him, but he'll talk about when he made that Stargate movie, uh, and he read it and he said, "My God, this this is awful." Uh, and and he signed up to do it just because he wanted to know what it was like to be in such a big awful movie. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, I mean, uh, August 28th, final week of the summer for our purposes. Honeymoon in Vegas, another great uh, sleeper of the summer. Uh, romantic comedy with Elvis impersonators and Nicolas Cage and Sarah Jessica Parker and James Caan. I said you wouldn't do it. Is that what you really said? Of course. What do you think? And he actually said, if she spends the weekend with me, you owe me nothing. Yes. I am so nauseous. You don't think this is totally killing yes. me? You know, I just had this feeling, Jack, when you left, and I sort of talked myself out of it. Something about this. Okay, listen. Not right. Listen, just forget I even mentioned it. There's options. Like what? Neither of us has any money. God, Jack! I mean, what did he say? He, he wants me to walk around in her clothes? It wasn't that specific. How could you put me in this position? What do you think? I knew it was coming. I wanted this to happen. I was completely blindsided. Jack, I still don't understand this. You went in there with $500, right? We had this whole discussion. I had a straight flush. Hey, how you doing? Do you know what a straight flush is? It's like unbeatable. Like unbeatable is not unbeatable. Hey, I know that now, okay? Don't yell at me. I hate this place. I won't sleep with him no matter who he is. Are you crazy? Of course not. That's not even a consideration. No? No. What if he holds a gun to my head? Betsy, he's a gambler. He's not a gangster. He was a garment center guy originally. Oh, he was a garment center guy. Well, that's a relief. I'm not saying it's great. Look at all these families here. Happy families. I'm a whore, Jack. You've made me into a whore. Honey, you don't think this is destroying me? I don't know what to do. You brought me to Las Vegas and you turned me into a whore, Jack. Let's just forget about this, all right? This is insanity and somehow I'll get the money. From whom? My parents don't have it. One weekend, he said. Yes. I can't. A good little movie. Actually, Andrew, uh, not a bad way to end this. Not a bad way to end the show. I mean, <laughs> end on a high note. Um, actually, I like that. It film. isn't the last um, movie. <laughs> I do like that film quite a bit. And now it's kind of that began that uh, great run of Nick Cage had for about you know probably for about five years, um, starting that with that film and going on with uh, you know Red Rock West. It could happen to you. And uh, you know, Kiss of Death, Leaving Las Vegas. So yeah, that's kind of the the beginning of the the great Nick Cage run of the '90s. And he's the, the prime reason to watch it because he's the funniest thing in it. Uh, right. His as the movie progresses, he gets more and more frantic, and and uh, that's the that's the bedrock of the comedy there. Otherwise, it's. Really, I just rewatched this one too, and 
it's not a very funny movie in terms of I mean when you remember it comes from the director of things like the in laws or the freshman or whatever, which are I think are two much funnier movies. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, this one this one is, is pleasant but it's not really hilarious. Uh and uh but it's really only Cage that does that. And then of course there's the there's the Elvis impersonators that do make a do make a big impression, including Burton Gilliam, who is you know that's a character actor that a lot of people might not know, but they certainly know him in things like Paper Moon and uh, and uh, uh, Blazing Saddles. They'll recognize him immediately. He's he's uh, Slim Pickens, second in command in Blazing Saddles. You know that you know ask ask them all to do a. You know, a, a nice Negro spiritual. You know, while they're <laughs> while they're you know like the Camp Town ladies. You know that guy. So yeah. he 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 injects some real fun in those uh, in those scenes where they're getting ready to jump out of the airplane and. Well, and also uh, Pat Morita does yeah. a pretty is pretty funny as a taxi driver and Peter Boyle is. I remember some people at the time thought Peter Boyle was doing a uh, satirical. Sp- uh, send up of uh, Marlon Brando, uh, and that Andrew Bergman was getting his revenge on Marlon Brando. Cause remember, Marlon Brando had badmouthed the freshman for a little bit. Okay. So a lot of people thought a lot of people thought uh, Peter Boyle's role was Andrew Bergman, like getting back at Marlon Brando. I looked at it so. as kind of the injection of a of a kind of Richard Libertini like netzo character, like that was in you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the in-laws, you know, it was just a little nutty <laughs> aside that uh, didn't. Luckily, they didn't make it last too long. It's just like basically a one-scene cameo from Peter Boyle. But uh, you know, it's still it's a, it's a good movie. And to talk about, uh, I do have to say this: one of the main attractions to it is Sarah Jessica Parker, who's absolutely beautiful in it. So I mean, she's yes, yes. she's great, and and also. Uh, interesting that it's James Conn get gets the top billing in the movie, uh, and mm-hmm. this might be the last movie that he's really major film that he's gotten top billing for. You know, like it, it seems like a last gasp of of uh, James Conn's popularity, but uh, not a bad movie. It's nice. Also on that day, Pet Cemetery Two, not a good movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that, that, that movie is so that movie is so bad the Ramones didn't even do a song for it. <laughs> uh also on that day, finally, uh Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Which, you know, we've I'll talked about on the talk show. About, I'll let you all talk about that cuz I mean, I I it, I mean, my rule of thumb on prequels is that they usually their exercises in um they're, they're exercises in shoe leather and that there's no suspense. There's nothing really. It's all about just laying foundation mm-hmm. because kinda, you already know what's going to happen. So by and large, prequels just are never good ideas. So <laughs> probably yeah. But that doesn't, really, yeah, that, doesn't really apply, that doesn't really apply to David Lynch. Uh, really. I know. So, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. I know it has its defenders. I'm sure not many people are talking about Firewalk with me, even though they're all talking about Twin Peaks right now. It's the show of the year, but no one is talking about Firewalk with me. So I find that interesting. 
Um, I mean, obviously it has moments that are true Lynchian power, but as a narrative film, I look at it as a, not, as a, I look at it primarily as a delivery device for uh for Cheryl Lee's lead performance and I think she's fantastic in it. So if for no other reason I would say watch it for her performance. Because, you know, she doesn't get much time in the series Twin Peaks, so Yeah. Hmm. I think it's I think I mean, it's Firewalk, it's it's the job done. Well, it deepens it, it it deepens what was best of the original series of Twin Peaks. Like it deepens what was best in that premiere episode. There's the pathos of that premiere episode in Fire Walk with Me, and there's also a, a deepening of kind of the iconography he's working on uh, with that whole world that he's creating with Twin Peaks. It's 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 wild. It's out of control, and at the same time, it's anchored by a really compassionate and brutal portrait of uh, parental abuse, you know, of, of, of incest and um, drug addiction. and uh, So, I mean, I I think there's a lot to hold on to emotionally in it, but uh, if you're, uh, Lynch is not a narrative director. I mean, not all movies are about narrative. They don't mm. have to be. I mean, that that's like that's but, like looking at a painting and saying, I, I can't tell what's going on in that, instead of allowing yourself to lose yourself in whatever mm-hmm. is in that painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Lynch is best when he deals with narrative. I mean, you look at Blue Velvet, you look at Elephant Man, you look at The Straight Story, you look at Mulholland Drive. I mean, they have strong narratives. And so there's something, there's something to be said for when you have a strong narrative, I think. I don't think so. I mean, I think, I think Lynch is best when he finds a skeleton in which he can operate his particular brand of artistry. Uh, when he can put in, when he can have a free association kind of stream of consciousness creativity going on, when he can pull all these different parts of pop culture like he does in Wild at Heart because the the frame of the story itself allows him to do that. I don't think it's about getting from point A to point B with David Lynch. I think it's about the journey. I would agree. That said, Twin Peaks is a difficult watch. And uh, yeah, there's a reason it for difficult. it. I mean, even amongst D- David Lynch movies, it's a difficult watch, which is really saying something for a lot of people. And so uh, it just it's uh, you know, I mean, I, I love what he's doing on the TV show now, uh, and uh, and so in that way, I like Twin Peaks because it's similarly unhinged. And uh, so I can I can deal with it as a fan of the director. You know, it's a movie that if you're not a fan of tw- David Lynch, you're, you're not, not going to like it. Yeah, I think that's the best way to sum it up. Mm-hmm. to be my- 
Too much to ask.